Well, I do greet you in the name of the Lord and welcome you on this Lord's Day as we conclude our series, First Things, a study through Genesis chapters 1 through 3. This will be the final sermon in that series. And by the grace of God, we have been helped along these past few months as we've journeyed through the first three chapters of Beginnings, the book of Genesis. There have been many essential doctrines that have we have considered in our time through these first three chapters. Just to take us down memory lane for a moment, we considered the doctrine of God, creation ex nihilo, God's pattern for man in work, the creator's Sabbath, and the moral law of the Sabbath, the covenant of works, sacramental trees, the covenant of grace, the covenant of redemption, marriage, and the roles of husbands and wives. And I'm certain if you think about it, you could come up with many more things that you have learned over these months. And as we bring these three chapters to a close, I pray that you have seen a reoccurring theme throughout this series. And that theme would be one of constant comparison. It is a constant comparison between God's son, the first man made from the dust of the ground, whom God set forth as a federal head, the federal head of mankind at the beginning of creation. That first man is Adam, comparing him constantly, contrasting him constantly with the second man, the eternal second member of the Trinity, the eternal son of God, whom God set forth as the federal head of a new creation, a people for his own praise and glory. The second man, he is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we've studied through these first three chapters, we have compared these two men. Because in all of history, only two men matter. In all of history, there are only two men that matter. As it has been said, all men hang on the waist, on the belt of one of these two men. Brothers and sisters, friends and visitors, you are either dangling in condemnation on the waist of the first man, Adam, or you are dangling by grace on the waist of the second man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, as we journey to the end of these three chapters and and if you can imagine, prepare to travel beyond the borders of the Garden of Eden into now the cursed world and all that awaits us in chapter four and beyond. We must not lose sight that there are only two men in history, the first man, Adam, and the second man, Jesus Christ. Now, how do we know this? How do we know that there are only two men who matter in all of history? How do we come to that conclusion? We know this and we can come to this definitive conclusion because these are not our words. These are not our thoughts. They are the words of God found in the only certain rule of faith and obedience, God's holy inspired word. This morning, with God's help, we will compare and contrast these two men, Adam and Christ, as they are explained to us by God through his servant, the Apostle Paul. 
With that said, let us stand for the reading of God's word. Romans chapter five. Romans, the fifth chapter. And verse 12. Romans five and verse 12. This is God's word. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. And death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. For indeed, or for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet sin or death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Who was a type of the one to come. Who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is God's word. Please be seated. The Apostle Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit to write to the church in Rome. The church in Rome was possibly the product of the Holy Spirit being poured out at Pentecost, where tongues of fire came upon those who gathered and who prayed in that upper room, and where the wonders of God could be heard declared in every language known to man, reversing the curse of Babel. It is possible that this church in Rome was ignited by the fires of Pentecost. And now, believers were gathering to worship Christ on the Lord's Day Sabbath. The Apostle Paul writing to this church of new believers, as it were, and instructing them on the foundations of the gospel. Paul has been expounding on the universal depths of man's sin, the grace of God in Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, That he has provided a salvation that is perfect for sinners. And in Romans 5, 12 through 21, the Apostle Paul is answering the question. Here's the question. How sin has universally spread to all mankind? Paul is answering the question of how the grace in Jesus Christ is greater than all of our sin. And how it could be that what one man did on the cross could possibly bring salvation to an untold multitude of people. In order to answer these questions, 
The Apostle Paul shows us the riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. And in order to show us the riches that are ours in Christ, the Apostle brings us back to the very foundation of our faith. The very foundation of the gospel, which is described here in Romans 5, 12 through 21. And, and what is that foundation? That foundation is simply and yet ever, yet ever so profoundly. Here it is. That there is more grace in Jesus Christ than there is sin in you. What is that foundation? It is this. That there is more grace in Jesus Christ than there is sin in you. Paul is wanting to challenge our thinking. To challenge our thinking with concepts that may not be very familiar with us. So that the end of all of what he has said. We may know that there is more grace in Jesus Christ than there is sin in you. Grace. Grace in Christ. And because there is grace in Christ, that grace will reign in me unto eternal life. It will carry me unto eternal life. These passages that we will study this morning, they, they may be difficult to understand. But hear me when I say this. They are worth every ounce of our mental energy to try to understand. Because they will give us a, a different and more clear Christ-centered perspective. On history. These verses, brothers and sisters, lay the very foundation of some of the most important things that we could ever possibly know about the Christian life. Now, then, with that said, let us uh, gird up the loins of our minds that we may enjoy what is taught to us by the Apostle Paul and better understand the depths of the wonders of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, with God's help, we will compare and contrast these two men with three points of consideration. Number one, the identity of the two men and their role. The identity of the two men and their role. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. The identity of the two men and their role. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all because all sinned for in, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type. If you're taking notes, a type of the one who was to come. The Apostle Paul introduces two unique men in history. He begins in verse 12 by stating that sin came into the world through one man. We know that the one man that Paul speaks of is that first man formed of the dust, made in the image of God. He is Adam. And if there was any doubt that Paul was speaking about Adam, he identifies Adam in verse 14. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. The transgression was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. The apostle is convinced. Now, listen close. The apostle is convinced that Adam is not a character in some fairy tale. But that Adam was a real historical figure. Adam was a real man, a real historical man. He was not just a real man. In fact, he was the first man. 
the apostle mentions Moses. You saw that there? But the apostle does not mention Moses with the kind of finality or importance as he does with the one who was to come. You hear that? Adam was important. He was a real historical man. He was, in fact, the first man. His life had a great impact on the world and shaped the world as we know it. But he is not the only man of importance in history. For Adam was a type. Adam was a type, a shadow of the one who was to come. Adam was a shadow of the real thing, if you will. The apostle does not identify who was the one who was to come, which should cause us to ask, who is the one who was the one that was to come? Or who is the second man? Brothers and sisters, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to know the answer to that question. He is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle does not leave us to guess this either. He tells us in verse 17 and in verse 21, he is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, Adam, the first man in history, and our Lord Jesus Christ, the second man in history. The Apostle Paul spends a great deal of time speaking about Adam. But listen, Paul only spends a great deal of time speaking about Adam. Here it is. So that we might better understand Christ. We shall discuss this more in our second point. But notice with me again, verse 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Here it is. Who was a type of the one who was to come. The apostle not only acknowledges the historicity of Adam and the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ was also a historical figure, a real human being. But he takes their historical significance to proportions that impact every man, woman, boy, and girl. For the apostle makes the point that Adam and Christ were not only historical figures, they were federal heads. If you're taking notes, that's important. They were not only historical figures, they were federal heads. What's a federal head? A federal head meaning... Covenant head. What's a covenant head? You're getting more complex now. No. Covenant head meaning representative. Adam was a representative. He's the first man. Christ is also a representative. He's the second man. Adam was a type of the one who was to come. Adam was a representative. So the one to come also would be the other representative. Are you with me? Adam and Jesus act for a particular people so that everything they do might be accounted for everyone they represent. Are you with me? To say it another way, as we said last week, as Adam goes, so goes all whom he represents. Or as Christ goes, or and as Christ goes, so goes all those for whom he represents. This is representation. This is why the Apostle Paul speaks about the first man and the last Adam or the first Adam and the last Adam. The first Adam is the Adam of Genesis one through four. The second Adam is Christ. The second man of the new covenant. Our loving God 
in his rich mercy and wisdom, sends to us a second Adam, a second man. Oh, as the old theologians would say, when all was sin and shame, a second Adam to the fight and to the rescue came. And this idea of representation, it should not be odd or foreign to our thinking. It's not so unusual. You live under it every single day. Did you know that representation is one of the fundamental reasons why this country of the United States was established? Tea was thrown into a particular harbor. Where? In Boston. Why? Because those who were living in New England were paying taxes to a British empire. And yet for all of their taxation, they were not receiving representation. Thus begins what we have here today. Independence. You vote for representatives. They say they will fight for you. They promise to hear your concerns and to take those concerns to the highest courts to bring about change for you. And you trust them to represent you. And dear ones, this idea of representation date back, dates back to the very beginning of all things. In the scriptures, this pattern of representation is found for us in the Garden of Eden. When Adam represents a new creation, a new people. We see this, this idea of representation in the tabernacle and in the temple. The high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies. And what would he be doing? He would be dressed wearing the names of the children of Israel on his shoulder and on his breastplate. And he would go into the Holy of Holies on behalf of who? On, him, on behalf of himself and behalf, on behalf of the people. He offered up sacrifices on behalf of himself and behalf of the people. He represented them, if you will. We see this as the idea of representation or federal headship in the young warrior David. When David goes out to do battle with Goliath, what's the challenge from the great giant Goliath? The challenge is send someone from among you who will do battle with me. If I defeat him, you shall be our servants. But if, if, I, if I defeat him, you shall be our servants. But if he defeats me, we shall be your servants. What is that? That is representation. And the young boy, the young ruddy-faced boy from Bethlehem, came out with a sling and a stone, with the word of God in his mouth to do battle with the great giant. And by the strength of God, David defeats the giant with a sling and a stone. And what does he do? Another type. What does he do when the giant is slayed? He cuts off his head. A type of the one who was to come, who would crush the head of the serpent. The victory was David's. Listen, but it was not David's alone, was it? His victory over the giant counted as Israel's victory over the giant and over their enemies, the Philistines. So that when the soldiers went home and when their families asked them, how did it everything go? What was the outcome of the war? They could say confidently, uh, accurately and surely we won. How did they win? Because someone stood in their place to win on their behalf. They could say accurately, surely, and confidently, we won. What is that? That is representation. Brothers and sisters, 
This is the picture that Paul is painting for us in these two men, Adam and Jesus. They stand as federal heads, as representatives of who? Of two families. The children of the devil. And the children of the seed of the woman. And and what did these two men do? What is the nature of their actions? We have we have identified who they are and what they what their role is. They are two men in history, Adam and Jesus. Their role is they are representatives. What did the representatives do? Because what they do accounts for who they represent. Amen. Number two, the nature of the actions of the two men or what did these men do? Okay. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift or but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive abundance, the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Notice how the apostle describes the actions. Here it is. The actions of the first man. What did he do? Verse 12. Therefore, just as what? What does your Bible say? Just as what came into the world? Sin came into the world through the one man. Or verse 16. For if man died through one man's what? Trespass or sin. Do you see what the apostle is doing? He's explaining the actions of Adam. So that you might better understand the actions of Christ. He's making the contrast, the comparison and contrast. He is laboring to show the readers and the hearers the stark contrast between these two men. The Apostle Paul is, as it were, laying out for the, hear- for the hearer and for the reader. Listen to this. For those of you who, are, who have just been engaged, who are thinking about being engaged, maybe as you went shopping for a ring, here's what the jeweler is doing for you. He is preparing to show you the diamond. But before he does that, he is laying out for you a dark velvet cloth. And what is the apostle doing? He is laying out for you the dark backdrop of man's sin. He wants us to see the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ and his work. But it is only best appreciated. The luster of Christ's diamond, if you will, the luster of Christ's work shines brightest against the the backdrop Of Adam's sin and man's hopelessness. Verse 15. For if many died through one man's trespass. We have labored for these past three months or months, not three, but many months to show that Adam was given commands by God. Commands to be fruitful. To multiply. To fill the earth, to subdue it, to exercise dominion over all the earth. God placed Adam in the garden to to work it and to keep it. To expand the glory of Eden to the ends of the earth. The Lord God covenanted with Adam and commanded him to to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or he would die. The Lord God gave man a helpmate. A woman 
that would come alongside the man and help him to accomplish all that God had commanded him. This man was placed. Now listen to this. Here's what makes it so devastating. The man was placed in the perfect setting. Paradise, if you will. All of creation is at his disposal. Anything he wants is his. And if he exercises authority, it will submit. Creation will, would not have resisted him. Because creation was given into his hands. Paradise. Nothing that he did not have or did not need that he did not have in the garden. Nothing that, that would not be provided for him. Nothing that would not sustain him. And yet, in spite of all of the, the benefits that were surrounding him, in spite of all that he did not lack, the first man reaches out to grasp on to, to take hold of that which he believed would make him equal with God. Now that, that statement is very important. He, he reaches out to grasp onto equality with God. He reaches out to cling to it. Adam did this. We may say, but Eve was the first to eat. Brothers, no. Adam. The Lord God was not dealing with, with sin on an individual basis, meaning this. God was not looking at Eve's sin and saying, now, Eve, that you have sinned, all is lost. Why? Because she's not the federal head. God made covenant with Adam, not Eve. And I do believe Adam was the first to sin. For it was Adam who failed to guard his wife. It was Adam who failed to bring his wife under his leadership and under his authority. Adam abandoned his responsibility to his wife. Adam could have said, no, dear wife, that is the way of sin. As for, for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. But he did not. Adam sinned against the command of God. He broke the covenant of works. And the apostle understands that God made Adam to be a representative head over all of us. And so when Adam disobeyed God, we all disobeyed God. Why? Go back to representation. Because he represented all of us. So when Adam fell, we fell. And what a great fall that was. From, from what a great height, if you can imagine height, from what a great height Adam fell. It is believed that Eden sat atop a mountain. And if you can imagine Eden being atop a mountain and Adam falling from the very heights of Eden to the very cursed creation. What a great height from which man has fallen. The apostle describes it as the breaking of a command. A trespass, an act of disobedience. This was the act of the first man, the first representative head. All that transpired, which we will discuss in our next point, is because of the act of Adam. And, and when Adam acts, when he sins, he does not act as an isolated individual. But he acts as a representative for a whole humanity. The sin of one man. But, and thank God for that, but praise be to God, Adam was not the last man. There was another man in history, the second man, 
the second Adam, the Adam who was Adam was a type of the one to come and the one to come did come by the grace of God. There would come another representative. And just as what Adam did for all those whom he represented, he represented would be counted to them. So the new Adam and all that he would do would be counted for all those whom he represented. And what did he do? Before all things began to be, God, the eternal father and God, the eternal son, covenanted together. The father committed to give the son a love gift, a bride, and commissioned the son to redeem that bride by taking on the flesh of mankind. To become bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. To take on the form of a servant and to give up his life for that bride. The son submitted to the commission and obeyed the father. He, unlike Adam, listen, here it is, did not think equality with God was something that he had to grasp onto. That he had to hold on to. He, unlike Adam, did not think uh, godliness or his throne was something that he had to cling on to, but willingly let it go. He submitted to the will of his father which was also his will, and became obedient, taking on the flesh of a servant born by the Virgin Mary, born not in a palace, but in a humble manger. The Word became flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. His name is Jesus. And unlike Adam, he did not come into a world that would submit to his authority, but would resist him at every turn. He did not come to a perfect creation, but a cursed creation. The Lord Jesus born under the law, and lived in perfect obedience of the law. He did not come to remove one letter, one jot, one tittle from the law, but rather he came to fulfill all that God required. And why? Because this was the second man. He was not acting on his own behalf. He did not need to be redeemed. He came to redeem a people for his own praise and glory, that he might undo what Adam had done. He obeyed the law. He obeyed the law even when tempted. Brothers and sisters, he was truly tempted and truly without sin. Unlike Adam, who was surrounded by food and drink and all that the garden provided for him. The Lord Jesus, when tempted, was in a barren wasteland, a barren wilderness, fasting 40 days and 40 nights. And when tempted with bread, he countered with God's word. When tempted with proving his deity, he countered with God's word. When, when, when tempted with, with, with all the kingdoms of all the world, he countered with God's word, thus saith the Lord. And he would resist the serpent each time the serpent with his lying tongue presented temptations. Even through Peter who said, never, you shall never do this. The Lord God replied, get behind me, Satan, for you, not, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. When tempted in the garden, as Adam was tempted in the garden, he prayed, not my will, but your will be done. Adam sought his own will when he was in the garden, but Christ sought the will of the Father when he was in the garden. And when upon the tree, he did not give into the temptation to save himself as it was being shouted out to him. Save yourself if you're the son of God. Save yourself if you're the son of God. But unlike Adam... He was not moved by that tree. Adam was moved by the tree in his temptation. Christ was not moved by this tree. 
Christ was not moved by this tree, but set his face as flint to complete the, the, the mission that God had given him. He went all the way to the cross in perfect obedience. He did not sin. He obeyed. And the scriptures say that he learned obedience. Imagine God learning obedience. He became the master and perfect example of obedience. All the way to death. And to God be the glory. Where Adam was disobedient, the Lord Jesus Christ was perfectly obedient. And do you see now the marvelous picture that Paul is painting for us? Paul is, is taking Christ and painting him on a large canvas. And we are seeing it in, in, in bits and pieces. And Paul is almost saying to us, do, do you see him clearer now? Is, is the picture of Christ becoming clearer to your eyes? Is the luster of the diamond of Christ catching your eye? Are you seeing the wonder of Christ's actions against this dark backdrop of Adam's sinful actions? Our Lord comes into the world where Adam failed, Christ prevailed. Where Adam succumbed to the tempter, Christ overcame the tempter. Our Lord Jesus Christ is obedient to, the, to his heaven, heavenly father as the second man and the last Adam. He always does what pleases his father. Unlike Adam, he obeyed his father. And he does so in my place. He does so in the place of all those who would trust in him alone. In the place of all those who, is, who he has foreknown and foreloved and foreordained unto eternal life. Before the foundation of the world. When Adam sinned, he sinned not just for himself, but for everyone he represented. And when Christ obeyed and died, he obeyed and died not just for himself. There was no need for him to obey and die for himself. He did not need saving, he did not need redeeming. When Christ obeyed and died, he obeyed and died for all those for whom he came into the world to represent as the second Adam and representative. Now, we have looked at who these men are, Adam and Jesus. We have seen that they are representatives. We have seen their actions. One has disobeyed. One has obeyed. Now, what is the effect of their actions? What is the effect of their actions? Number three, the effect or the effects of the two acts of the two men. The effects of the two acts of the two men, or if you would like to summarize it even easier. What was the effect of their actions? And verse 18 to 21. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, the law came to increase the trespass. But where sin is increased, where sin increased, grace abound all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace 
also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Brothers and sisters, what was the effect of the first man, Adam's act of sin? You may have been noticing it. You may have been noticing that the Apostle Paul has been describing the effects of Adam's sin. And, and just so that we can be clear, Adam doesn't begin to describe the effects of man's sin in Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through 21. The Apostle Paul actually begins to explain the effects of the first man's sin in the very first chapter to the letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 1, if you will, and verse 18. Here is the effects of man's sin. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That is the beginning of the description of man's effect or the effect of man's sin. And Paul continues to describe humanity's inherent knowledge of God. We know God. How do we know God? We are created in God's image. All of humanity is made in God's image. And yet, although we know God, we reject our maker, he says. Man claims to be wise. And yet, rather than worshiping the creator, we worshiped and served created things. And so God gave man over to his depravity. God gave man over to his shameful acts of dishonoring our bodies and exchanging truth for lies. God gave man over to his debased or depraved mind. And as we continue to rebel against God, we store up wrath for ourselves as we continue to violate the law of God written on our hearts. The psalmist or David then quotes the psalmist in Romans in Romans chapter three and verse 10. Listen to what he says. This is the state of man. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is on, under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they, do not, they have not known. There is no fear of God in their eyes. How has man come to such ruin? How has man come to such a, a desperately depraved state of being? Man has arrived at this depraved state of being as, uh, as a result of being brought there by the first man, Adam, as their federal head. How did we get there? Adam brought us there. How did we come to this depraved state? Adam, Adam drug us along with him. Sin entered the world through one man's act of disobedience. Death entered the world as a result of this act. And death reigned from Adam to Moses and beyond because of this one man's act of disobedience. The apostle tells us in Romans 5, here's the effects. Adam's disobedience brought judgment. You may see that in the passage. Judgment to all mankind. The effect of Adam's disobedience brought, you may see this in the passage, condemnation to all mankind. All men are without excuse. The wrath of God is being uh, poured out upon all men for one man's sin. This is the backdrop of man's dismal condition in the first man. So then we must ask, where is your hope? Because if we said, have a good day, 
then where is the hope? Or where is the gospel? It is not in go feed the hungry and give to the poor. And if you've done enough good deeds at the end, we'll see if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. That is not the gospel. How is that not the gospel? When do you know that you've ever done enough? Can you be secure in knowing that you have done enough? Do you want to lay on your bed and say, I don't know. I don't know if I've done enough. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm ready. I know I should have gone to church more. I should have prayed more. I should have gave more. I know I'm not sure. Is that where your hope lies in what you can do? Do you represent yourself? Ask someone who is struggling with coming to Christ. Who represents you? And if you believe that you represent yourself, those of you who have been to court before and you don't have a lawyer, you say, I'm going to represent myself. What kind of look has the judge given you? You must be crazy. You don't have a mediator. You don't have an advocate. You're toast. Brothers and sisters, all of man's hope to be rescued from death. All of man's hope to be rescued from judgment. All of man's hope to be rescued from condemnation of Adam's sin. Rest upon the promised seed of the woman. The one who would come and crush the serpent's head as David cut off the giant's head. He is the one who Adam believed in. He believed in him so much that he would name his wife in the midst of all death, name her life. He is the one that Enoch prophesied of before he was taken into glory. He is the one that Noah hoped in. The one that Noah hoped would bring the rest that Adam lost. He is the one seed that promised, that was promised, would come through Abraham, through whom the whole world would be blessed. He is the son of David, who would reign on David's throne forever. He is truly God, and he is truly man, the second man with us. And he is the most important man in all of history. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of man's hope of being pulled out and guarded from, protected from the wrath of God is found in Christ and in Christ alone. For all the tragedy that Adam brought into the world, the Lord Jesus Christ has far exceeded all that Adam has done in the way in which he has poured out his grace upon those whom he has foreknown and foreloved before the foundation of the world. And what is the effect of his coming? What is the effect of his obedience the apostle tells us by one act, all were made sinners, but by one act in Christ, all are made righteous. That's the effect. Adam's act of sin and disobedience produced separation. Christ's act of obedience brought reconciliation. Christ's act of sin and disobedience brought condemnation. Christ's act of obedience brings justification. Oh, if this was a charismatic church, you, you, you would be on your hundredth lap right now. Adam's act of sin. Could we please get an amen at least? Oh, God, please. To the glory of God. Adam's act of sin lost glory that was promised by obedience. And Christ's act of obedience won for us the glory that, was, that is much better than Adam had in the beginning. He doesn't take us back to the garden and say, try again. 
Thank God. He doesn't start us over again. He gives us a whole new reality. Adam's act gave us a sinful nature. In Christ, we are new creations. Life in the place of death. Justification in the place of judgment. Righteousness in the place of condemnation. By one man's act of obedience. And untold. Read Revelation. A number that no man can count. An untold multitude. From every nation, tribe, and tongue. Will be brought from death to life. Through Christ who is forever to be praised. Paul is pointing out. That we belonged to Adam, but thanks be to God that that Christ has come. Paul is showing us that our greatest need and our greatest privilege at the same time is to find ourselves not in Adam, but in Christ. Romans 5.1, we have peace with God. How? Through Christ. Romans 5.21, righteousness and life are found how? In Christ. Romans 6.23, the free gift of God of eternal life is offered through who? Christ. Romans 7.25, in Christ alone we are saved from this body of death. And in Romans 8.37, Paul breaks into a praise, a praise of confidence saying, In all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. Do you see Do you see, Paul is saying, do you see, do you see all of the sin, all of the rebellion, all of the death and the condemnation that is in Adam? And now do you see all of the righteousness, all of the obedience, all the life, all the forgiveness, the eternal security that is ours in Christ? Is the diamond shining bright enough for you now? Do you see that there were only two men that in Adam all die? But in Christ, you were made alive. And of all of the blessings, all the blessings that we have are because of the second man's obedience and victory that he procured on behalf of all those whom he represented. He obeyed. He became incarnate. He lived a perfect obedience. He submitted to death, even death on a cross. He conquered sin, conquered death, conquered the grave, rose from the dead. It is now seated to the right hand of the Father, and he makes intercession on behalf of those who place their faith in him alone. He is our representative so that we can now accurately and confidently say that when Christ won, we won. We won. When asked to give a reason for the hope that is within you, we can declare in Christ, we won. That's why I hope in him, because in Christ I've won. Where the tree of Adam brought the whole of humanity to ruin at the tree of Golgotha. The Lord Jesus Christ brought his people to salvation and eternal life at the tree. It is the most disproportionate reality in all of human history. That Adam's sin brought me ruin. But 33 years of Christ's obedience to his father, his agonizing suffering on the cross was needed to restore me to God. There are only two men in history, two men that matter. 
Brothers and sisters, friends and visitors, you are either dangling in condemnation on the waist of the first man, Adam, or you are dangling by grace on the waist of the second man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who are you holding on to this morning? Upon whose belt do you hang this morning? In Adam all die. In Christ all are made alive. Soli Deo Gloria. Yes. Hallelujah. Let us stand.